Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Hosea chapter 4 from the World English Bible. Hear Yahweh's word, you children of Israel, for Yahweh has a charge against the inhabitants of the land. Indeed, there is no truth, nor goodness, nor knowledge of God in the land. There's cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break boundaries, and bloodshed causes bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells in it will waste away, with all living things in her, even the animals of the field and the birds of the sky. Yes, the fish of the sea also die. Yet let no man bring a charge, neither let any man accuse, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You will stumble in the day, and the prophet will also stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you, that you may be no priest to me. Because you have forgotten your God's law, I will also forget your children. As they were multiplied, so they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and set their heart on their iniquity. It will be like people, like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and will repay them for their deeds. They will eat and not have enough. They will play the prostitute and will not increase, because they have abandoned giving to Yahweh. Prostitution, wine, and new wine take away understanding. My people consult with their wooden idol and answer to a stick of wood. Indeed, the spirit of prostitution has led them astray, and they have been unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the tops of the mountains and burn incense on the hills, under oaks, and poplars and terebinths, because its shade is good. Therefore your daughters play the prostitute, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the prostitute, nor your brides when they commit adultery because the men consort with prostitutes, and they sacrifice with the shrine prostitutes. So the people without understanding will come to ruin. Though you, Israel, play the prostitute, yet don't let Judah offend, and don't come to Gilgal, neither go up to Beth-Avon, nor swear as Yahweh lives. For Israel has behaved extremely stubbornly, like a stubborn heifer, then how will Yahweh feed them like a lamb in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Their drink has become sour. They play the prostitute continually. Her rulers dearly love their shameful way. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be disappointed because of their sacrifices. That is the end of chapter 4. Here in this section, Yahweh is going to again make it clear what Israel has done. He wants them, and everyone who reads the Bible, to be crystal clear what has been going on. This is nothing petty or capricious in this judgment. 
When people reject God, they reject the source of life and all that is good. They reject proper knowledge of those things, and it results in depravity and deterioration. He begins with the crux of it all in the second part of verse 1. There is no truth nor goodness. Things which come from, flow from knowledge of God. This does not mean that no one in the land is following God, though most obviously aren't, but the land is ruled by this, by leaders who rule this way, as we will see mentioned in verse 18. Then he gets more specific. If there is no truth, what is left is lying, murder, stealing, breaking of covenant relationships like marriage, wrongly claiming other people's property, that's what breaking the boundaries means, and continued bloodshed as people without truth can't resolve anything. They have no basis on which to get along. When in verse 3 it says, everyone who dwells in it will waste away, it just explains what should be obvious. People trying to live under such circumstances will be struggling. They can't prosper. It's kind of like they have the life sucked out of them. And it's so bad it will affect every living thing, even the fish. Verse 4 sounds odd at first because it sounds like don't accuse anyone, but God just laid out the accusations. David Gusick points out that this is referring to Deuteronomy 17 verses 9 through 12, where the people of Israel are told to listen to the priest's judgment, which is according to God's law. But here in Hosea, he's saying there is no point of them even coming to anyone, to any mediator, because they have no intention of listening. Now, for comparison, here in the World English Bible and also in the NIV, it uses the phrasing, bring charges against. In the King James and the Young's literal translation, it says, strive with, and the New King James uses the wording, contend with. So all of those give a picture of someone arguing with the judgment the priest has made. Now, in a few translations, they say something like, don't argue with me, my case is against the priests, along the lines that the priests could not be relied on for judgment, which is apparently true, but seems to be imposing meaning on what is actually said here. And in verse 5, he continues speaking broadly to those who are in the land, though it is daylight. Though they have the light of God's law available to them, they will stumble. Now refer to Psalm 119, Psalm 19, Psalm 43, Proverbs 6.23, and 2 Peter 1.19, talking about light this way. And of course, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world in John 8, verse 12, and also chapter 9, verse 5. You can look at Isaiah 56.10. 39 through 10, and Jeremiah 14, 14 for other references to Israel not paying attention to the light. Here in Hosea chapter 4 in verse 6, he gets back to the starting point. They have no real knowledge because they have rejected it. The term priest here seems to refer to Exodus 19:6, where God said they would be unto him a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And there is yet a promise in Isaiah 61.6 of returning to this. And of course, in 1 Peter 2.9, it talks about the church this way. There are also three places in the Revelation um, where it talks about the kingdom of priests this way. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 10, and chapter 20, verse 6. In verse 7, It says, he had blessed them with many offspring, but in the midst of their blessing from God, they sinned. 
Again, people try to sometimes complain that if God would just make life perfect, they would worship him. But this is proven over and over to be a false premise, beginning with the Garden of Eden. Then we also have the example of Solomon, and it's noted here as well. So they will be shamed. Maybe that will bring them to their senses. In verse 8, Matthew Henry proposes that feeding on the sin is the priest being okay with and maybe even encouraging sin because it meant more sacrifices for them to feast on. And this is obviously the wrong attitude. Instead, verse 10 says they will not have enough to eat. Maybe this means they will discover sin doesn't satisfy. The wrong craving is never going to provide what they think it will. And then with the example of prostitution, it talks about things actually being destructive, counter to what the gift was originally to include. You can see how prostitution leads to various things that greatly decrease blessing, like disease, breakdown of the family, even destroying children that they say they don't want. And because of all of these kinds of things, their people will not increase. In verse 11, we have more of the description of this perversion and excess. We know from other places, such as even in Deuteronomy 14.26, and where Jesus turns the water into wine, that it is not that wine is bad. But again, this is an inappropriate use of these gifts. The people further exhibit their foolishness by treating things they have made as gods. This does still go on today. People think man-made objects can be created which represent spirits, and it is true that spirits exist, but one, they are not gods, and two, they are not contained in what people make. Evil spirits might pretend to deceive people, but they lie. Even if people don't use the term idol, if they view or treat something as having godlike qualities, it is an idol. The Hebrew words translated to idol give some understanding of this, One of the main words translated idol means nothingness or vanity, according to Easton's Bible Dictionary. Then there are also other words that are translated idol, because while idols are clearly meant in the context, these words are making a point about the idols, like they are hideous or shameful. And even in Jeremiah 10.5, he calls the idol a scarecrow. And of course, we know from all the references to high places throughout the biblical history we've read in the Old Testament that the high places described here are another aspect of worshiping what is false, and that's verse 13. In verse 14, God makes it clear that just because he is talking about prostitution, which is so bad that even newly married women, brides, participate in it, don't think that he doesn't realize men are just as culpable, and so they will all come to ruin. In this section, in verse 15, he describes the northern kingdom as worse and cautions Judah. He mentions Gilgal and Beth-Avon as notable places of this perverted idol worship. A word search of Gilgal is interesting because it is where the Israelites first camped, east of the Jordan in Joshua 4. It was part of Samuel's circuit of judging in 1 Samuel 7.16, and it is where Elijah went up in 2 Kings 2 verses 1 and 2. But Beth-Avon here is apparently a play on words because there is no such place, and he's referring to Beth-El, which should be the house of God, but instead he uses one of the words that means idols, and he's calling it the house of idols. 
Regarding where it says, nor swear as Yahweh lives, it is because they were doing it vainly and irreverently. In Deuteronomy 5.11, it says, you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God. In Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, you shall fear Yahweh your God and you shall serve him and shall swear by his name. And it also says this in Deuteronomy 10.20. In Leviticus 19.12, it says not to swear falsely by his name. Then in Isaiah 48.1, it says, you swear by his name, but not in truth. And then in Jeremiah 4.2, it says they will return and properly use his name. But then in Hosea, he goes on comparing them to a cow, as he did in Amos chapter 4, verse 1. Here, the comparison is a young, foolish, stubborn cow, and if they choose to be like that, he cannot guide them as cherished, tender lambs. In verse 17, we see the use of Ephraim as it is often used to refer to the whole of the northern kingdom because it was a very large area of it. Here, God says, fine, you are joining yourself to idols, go ahead. The use of the word joining indicates a voluntary and close relationship, even identifying with the idols. A.R. Fawcett says here that the word for idol in Hebrew is sorrows or pains. Verse 18, saying that drink is sour, means it is utterly gross and useless, and that is what their idols are and what they are like joined to them. Then he reiterates that those in positions of power and influence are not only acting so shamefully, but they dearly love doing so. Then this section ends in verse 19 with the imagery of the wind blowing everything away and they will be left empty. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 